welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Oh, well, good morning. I don't really get to serve you guys as a group very often. Um, Most of my conversations are one-on-one, so this is exciting and a little bit terrifying. (laughs) Um, But I'm excited to bring a message that God's put on my heart the last couple of weeks. Um, I've kind of felt burdened with it, and now that we get to share it together, I think it's actually going to relieve the pressure for a lot of us. So my title today is No Experts Here. No Experts Here. It takes humility to stay in a posture of learning. The Bible tells us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility to value others before ourselves. It also says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that poor in spirit, the original Greek term is tokoi, and it actually translates to a humble recognition of our need for God. And maybe today you feel like, Shanna, I am humbled. I'm burnt out. I'm worn down. I'm weary. And to you, I would say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will exalt you. So your time is coming. They say that if you want to grow your influence online or you want to start a small business, then the way that you do that is you develop a really specific expertise, and then you present yourself doing that or your product over and over and over again so people get familiar with what you do, they can identify you by that, and they can go to you when you can meet a need. Um, Well, I have tried for years to pick that one thing, but the truth is I still don't know what I wanna be when I grow up. (laughs) I wanna focus, I wanna be the best. But I love designing and decorating spaces. I've been in marketing and design for a few years now. But do I want to be an illustrator or a writer or a muralist or an event planner? And at the end of the day, I'm not an expert at any of it. So it can all start to feel like amateur hour over and over and over again, always learning a new thing, always trying a new thing. And the world would have me feel bad about that. But God has used it. So God doesn't need me to be an expert. He needs me to be obedient. God doesn't need you to be an expert. God needs you to be obedient. And we love expertise. We admire it in ourselves and in others. And I think it's appropriate that we respect the training and the preparation that people go through to equip themselves for whatever they're about to do. I'm not gonna jump in a car with a 10-year-old and say, drive, kid, 
because he doesn't have the experience or the training to warrant that trust. But what I want you to hear today is this. God will prepare you for the thing he called you to. But it might not be the training you think you need, and it might not look like the thing that you thought you signed up for. When David the shepherd boy was playing a harp on the hillside, he probably didn't think he was being prepared to kill a giant or to lead a nation as a king. Seven years ago, I signed up to be a small group leader with my husband, Matt. (laughs) And all of this was not on our radar. We never imagined that you would be here today. We had no idea what we were being prepared for. And I have to say, we don't always feel prepared now. But if we were still waiting until we felt prepared, then all of us would be somewhere else today. No experts here. When did we start needing to know everything? And since when did we come to church under this pressure of projecting that we have it all together? We have some parents in the room, right, for Mother's Day. Is it true, I'm not a parent yet, so I don't know, when they hand you that baby, that you are suddenly provider, nurturer, pediatrician, nutritionist, teacher, manager, nurse, and activity planner, and you wanna do it all, and you wanna do it all perfectly, is that true? Guys, that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Listen, God is ready to use you as you are, as unprepared as you may feel, and as uncertain as you may be about what exactly is next. God has a history of activating the least likely. So turn in your Bibles today. We are going to head to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26. So this is part of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. It reads, For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and chose what is weak in the world, to shame the strong, and chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So Paul is describing two things here. Number one, the unlikely victory of Jesus' death on the cross. And two, the unlikely perseverance of the early church. How unlikely was it for a small group of oppressed, untrained, and under-resourced civilians for their message to outlast the strength of the Roman Empire? How unlikely was it for the following of a slain Jewish rabbi whose only training was carpentry, to spread a message of hope and a victory to the ends of the earth. 
This is why Paul so often in his letters will talk about Christ crucified. Because what was a defeat to the observer became a victory for us on the third day. The cross was a shameful end to countless movements under the Roman Empire. Christianity was not the first movement that they tried to stop by killing the leader. But today the cross is a symbol of our freedom, of our life, and where the payment and the evidence of eternal life breathed its first. Romans 1.18 tells us, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If you know the cross, if you understand it, if you grasp the authority and the freedom that is available to you through the cross, then you actually have everything that you need to live a fulfilled and impactful life. Jesus is our hope of glory. Jesus is the power at work within us. And the author of this passage, Paul, we think of him as a patron saint. He was brilliant. Most published author in the Bible, um, highly educated, known for debating Hebrews and Greeks alike in defense of the gospel. So let's drop in on the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 2, and he tells us how his presentation to the church in Corinth went. Verse 2 through 5 says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I want you to know today, it does no good if we impress you. It actually does you no good if we win you to church community and not to the power of God at work within you. And that makes things tricky because we can't harness the power of God. We can't manipulate it. We can't even fully understand it. But we can invite it and we can hunger for it. And Proverbs tells us the Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger. So let's pray. God, this morning we invite you. May our gathering be a demonstration of your spirit and your power at work within each one of us. Free us from our need to know everything. Free us of our need to impress people. Free us of our need to impress you or feel like we have to earn a place in your family. We already know that you invite us in, so now we invite you. Please move. And all God's people said, amen. All right, now that I'm done with the intro, I have three short points, I promise. They're short. <laughs> and these three points, they really beautifully coordinate with belong, believe, become. Do you know the vision statement yet? 
belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God that's bigger than you, become who God created you to be. So number one, belong. No one is a relationships expert because relationships change. Relationships, whether they're friendship or parenthood or marriage, they're always a wild recipe of communication and work and risk. And I don't know about you, but as an introvert, I feel a special dose of social awkwardness when I run out of things to say in a conversation. Making new friends can feel scary. Walking up to strangers and creating a conversation out of nothing. Some of you are really good at this, and I envy that. But for me, a little bit scary. And the Lord said, you know what, Shanna? I see that. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to plan a church. So you get lots of practice. Thanks. And you may or may not know this, but about a quarter of this gathering comes from the small group that we started six years ago. We called that group the Open Club. And we called it that because we had a really deep-seated belief that the doors of that group needed to be open to absolutely anyone and everyone, ages 18 to 30. <laughs> and if it wasn't that, then we should just close up shop. And it's really easy to get comfortable. It's really easy to hunker down with the people that you know and the relationships that feel familiar. But you know, it's so worth it to make room for people to consider others more important than ourselves. Someone signed up for first impressions so they could welcome you today. Someone set up chairs and organized parking and made coffee so that you would stay awake this long. The gathering is a place that makes room for people. And we take the risk, the risk of getting to know one another. You do not need to be eloquent or impressive to show someone that they belong. So repeat after me, even though I am not an expert, I belong. Point two, believe. No one is a faith expert because the God in whom we have faith is so expansive. And I think this weird thing can happen when you've been in church for a while. You can start feeling this, yep, I've heard this story. Yeah, I know how this ends. Daniel in the lion's den, David and Goliath, Noah in the ark. We've seen the felt boards with the cute fuzzy animals. And you can start to feel like you've heard it all and you've learned it all. And at that point, no one can disciple you because you've got this thing down. But the truth is, we are all still learning to live an opposite life. The Bible says we lose our life to find it. We are more blessed to give than to receive. The last shall be first. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor, 
and the poor in spirit. Pray for our enemies. This stuff is hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to lay down your right to be right in order to reconcile with a family member. It's hard to share what you have instead of keeping it for self-preservation. It's hard to refuse to chase down a ladder of personal success and instead help the people that are alongside of you. It's hard to be peace in a conflict and to bless and not curse. Living this way is so illogical to us. It goes against our human nature and it calls us to change, to trust God's recipe for right living. So that, as Paul said, our faith might not rest on the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. I love that Paul tells us, my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. They were a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Your faith must rest on the power of God. And why is that? Faith starts to look a lot different from a hospital bed. Faith starts to look a lot different after trauma. Faith starts to look a lot different when your family is struggling or when someone's hurt you. Faith goes through stuff. Faith enters this fight to reconcile the goodness of God and the brokenness of our world. My faith has been through stuff. Stuff that almost broke it. But like Peter in John 6:67, when all the crowds are leaving and Jesus turns to him and says, are you also going to leave? I have to tell you, my soul found nowhere else to go. In 2019, I was pretty upset with God. My dad was scheduled for an open heart surgery to repair a valve. And we prayed, believing for a miracle. We didn't see it. We prayed, believing for a smooth operation. And we didn't see it. We prayed, believing for a rapid recovery. And we didn't see it. So how do you go on when your faith's getting beat up like that? I think so often we want to understand God through blessing and not through breaking. We want to understand him in the pages of our Bible and not through the harsh pains of reality. And there's a lot of things that you can temporarily entrust your soul to. There's substances that numb you and relationships that identify you, job security, distraction, success, escapism, but none of these things can hold the breadth and the depth of your eternal self. And your soul cannot rest safely there. So Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. So repeat after me. Even though I'm not an expert, I believe. And our last one today, become. No one is an expert on their own life. 
because there's someone else who knows more. And this is a weird idea in kind of our American culture of self-made and self-actualized individualism, but someone else does know more. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Did you know you at that point? Someone else knows more. God says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And this is why we listen and we trust and we obey the Lord. When I married Matt in 2014, I knew him, but I knew 23-year-old him. I still didn't know 30-year-old him yet or 40-year-old him, and I still don't know 50-year-old him. But here's the thing, God does, because he sees us in every season. So who better to direct us through every stage and season of our life? He knows where you're headed and his plan for your future. He tells us, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Someone else knows more. I brought a couple of examples of artwork. This is, we can put the first one up. This is Lee Bontecou's work. It's the same presentation style as a traditional wall-mounted canvas. It's made of canvas and wire and soot. But this canvas is classified as a sculpture. Why? Because its creator defined it that way. We can put her up. There she is. And next we have Steven Spaku's work. It's the same materials, canvas, soot, and he uses fire. And there isn't one drop of paint on this canvas, but it's classified as a painting. Do you know why? Because its creator classified it as a painting. And I believe that what we're seeing a lot in our culture today is creation declaring itself free of its creator we are ignorant of our design, which the Bible tells us is in the image of God. That's how he made you, and he's the expert here. And it's my hope and my prayer today that you would trust what he says about you and that you would find the courage to do what he tells you to do. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie or son of man, that he should change his mind. What he has said, he will do. And I think if we knew God as the relational, loving father that he is, we would trust him to define us. So repeat after me, even though I'm not an expert, I am becoming. You are becoming who God created you to be. Um, Keys, could you come play as we close?
So I want to talk about an unprecedented and monumental thing that's happening in our country. I'm sure you've heard about the Supreme Court leak this past week. And it's such a layered and emotional topic for so many. And in a room this size, the diversity of stories that must be present, we don't want to overlook that. But if we can't talk about real stuff here, if we put our head in the sand, then we forfeit the church's calling to be impactful. Salt and light, those are the biblical callings of the church. Salt is a preservative and light is an illuminator. Preserve and illuminate. And we believe that God is the author, the creator, and the giver of life. And if life can be preserved, then church, we want to see that happen. For children and for mothers. I was born to an 18-year-old college student. She had no support system. She was not ready to be a mom. And the odds were really against her. And the odds were against me. But she decided that I had value. And that I would have a chance at life. And that same year that I was born, 1992, 1,359,000 other children did not get that chance. Your life is a miracle. Look how far you've come. God is the author of life and he writes great stories and he writes redemptive stories and he writes restorative stories and he writes healing stories and here we do not shame people for their trauma we do not judge each other's pain because we all, we all needed our stories rewritten. On the day I was born, two remarkable people were called to the hospital. And they had it in their hearts to bring me home, to give me a family, to raise me in love, to add me to their legacy to share their inheritance, to call me daughter, and to write me into their story. And church, that is what Jesus did for us. He brought us home. He raised us in love. 
he added us to his legacy and he shared his inheritance. He calls us sons and daughters and wrote us into his story. The gospel is an adoption story. And Mother's Day is a unique day to be sharing all of this. I know there are many families here assembled by adoption or foster care. It's such a beautiful and holy thing. And we see you and we love you. And to every mom, grandma, stepmom, aunt, mentor, teacher, coach, or sister here this morning, you are valuable to God. You are seen. Women are a vital part of this story. And we see you and we love you. And to those who may be feeling the emotional complexity that can come with this holiday, whether you've lost someone or you're estranged or you're working through trauma, wrestling with grief or waiting on a miracle, you are not alone in that place. And we see you and we love you. And moms, you don't have to be experts either. Your kids don't have to hit every milestone. You are entrusted to steward big souls in little bodies and to demonstrate the humility of learning and depending on Jesus. So let's pray together today. Holy Spirit, would you come and lift our burdens this morning? May our gathering be a demonstration of your spirit and your power at work within us. Let us not rest on human wisdom. Help us to trust you to be the expert in our lives. Free us from needing to make the whole plan, to see the whole picture, to understand all of what you're doing from our limited perspective. God, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Help us to humble ourselves. We are what you say we are. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your compassionate care for each one of us. We speak a special blessing over the women of this house today. May they be empowered to walk in the authority of Christ. May they be convinced of their identity as a daughter in your family. May they find rest in your kindness and your provision. And may your joy be our strength. We thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. And we love you. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.